Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. If you've listened to previous episodes and found some value in them, would love to know what that value is. Would love to hear your feedback. Comments, reviews always help. Find us on social media if you want to find anything else out as well. This week on this episode, I have a great friend of mine. I met her through my work with through the Positive Coaching Alliance. She is a high-performance coach herself. She is a mix of competitive fire and gentle confrontation, as she is described. She is also the niece of legendary basketball coach Tex Winter. Kip has worked with Pepsi Bottling Company, Exos Training, and Baylor University recently as well along her journey. She is my friend and the founder and owner of the Brain Code Corp and Neurosport. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, my friend and Kip Watson. Tell us a little bit about what you have going on with Brain Code and Brain Code Corp and what you do there. Well, Brain Code Corp is more of my uh, executive high-performance coaching side of what I do. And then Neurosport is the sports psychology side of what I do. I use the same process of uh, individual assessment um, because I'm assessing your intangibles, the things we can't see, but the things that affect, you know, the way we think, uh, the way we feel and what we do. So whether, you know, whether you're going down brain code as an executive or neural sport as an athlete, it's, it really is a way of assessing those intangible things using some neuroscience. I utilize the Myers-Briggs type indicator and then my own personal set of questions that I, you know, after 20 plus years of doing this, you know, that I, I use to really evaluate somebody. And then we have a very clear roadmap of what your strengths and weaknesses are. And especially as an athlete, this is really important. You'll know exactly where those strengths and weaknesses are physically and yeah. mentally, you know, given your brain code, given your goal, given like in a sport like football, it's, it is position dependent, you know, I know that a brain code that works on the offensive line, the best brain code for that, very different than the one that works as a DB or a linebacker, right? They require different mental strengths or mental muscles. Right. If that makes sense. Totally. As a defensive back, uh, I I get that. Yes, me too. Me too. The best thing that taught me was, you know, get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Well, yeah, when we screw up, everybody sees it, right? Yeah, you know. When so. we bet, right? Everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, you'd see that when a wide receiver would become a DB and just that like shift a little bit sometimes, yeah. like a uh, new role. But um, I know along your journey as an athlete, um, a, a parent to athletes, um, you've had some great coaches. Was there a coach along your journey that kind of elevated you more than others along that journey? Um. That's such a great question. And, and I, this is, it's almost, golly, it's almost hard for me to answer that question because I would have to say overall, I did not have a coach that stood out to me as someone who was like, woo, 
really made that um, like eternal mark on my life. Mm -hmm. And I think I definitely had some very negative ones. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really fueled me in a lot of ways to, um, you know, I learned what not to do um, yeah. as a coach. <laughs> as a parent yeah um i i do think i had not they weren't necessarily cope my personal coaches but like i grew up admiring um my uncle tex winter who was you know i was around him as a kid when he mm -hmm. coached at northwestern and then more as an adult when he was a coach at the bulls and the lakers and so I got to be around him and ask him a lot of questions and watch him do his craft, but I wasn't necessarily, you know, he wasn't necessarily my coach, um, right. but he certainly was influential, I think, um, in terms of always looking at process and character and, and things like that versus actual results. Sure. Different and model than you were used to seeing in your own world. Well, for sure. And then I think my dad, I have to say my dad has been a huge influence on me. He played collegiate golf. Okay. Um, and then he, uh, well, he's retired now, but he was an ed psych professor at the Ohio State University. And right. so a lot of what I, the science that I use, I learned from him. And he used a lot with uh, the men's and women's golf team at Ohio State. Awesome. My Very mom, <laughs> my mom was a, a golfer at the University of Iowa. So, there you, uh, go. you know, okay. big, big 10 golf, golf people go. right there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, unlike uh, many in your field, you kind of uniquely uh, involve parents of younger athletes in some of your work. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of maybe the benefits you've seen and kind of the environment? Uh, so many youth league administrators and high school coaches find themselves in with parents. Um, gosh, um, it's a, it's a tricky part of what we do, especially the age groups, you know, that I typically work with a lot of the high school athletes, middle school athletes, and then even collegiate athletes, parents have a very significant role, uh, in an athlete on an athlete's success team. And I've watched parents destroy their, their child's desire for their sport, um, there have been a lot of bad examples that, you know, I'm training and working with the parents as much as I am with uh, the athlete, right? And even the session I had before this, I'm working on that parent-child communication, um, which is more of a therapeutic issue sure. versus a sports performance issue, but it affects it. It affects right. it. And, and that's what I, I guess I'm thankful for. I'm both a licensed counselor and a sports psychology professional so I don't have to farm that stuff out if we find a therapeutic issue we are going to deal with it right. um, and the parents play a key role and if they're not executing that role well um, it's going to be harder now I think parents you know we in positive coaching alliance we talk about parents they are the the backbone of, of support in teaching the life lessons and that really is their role a lot of times even at the younger ages it is more common to have the parent who's also the coach yep yep 
and so we are we are navigating you know those you know how how you are as a coach to your kid and how you are as a parent to your kid and those lines can be kind of blurry um and parents struggle with how to separate that um and luckily i mean i had five years of experience with that with my own kids you know i i coached my son's peewee football for five years awesome. and i coached their flag football teams where they were both on the same team a co-ed team um and so you know i i think again i've been able to speak to parents because i've been in that in that role at the same time and they seem at least more willing to hear from me but communication skills are really probably 100 percent of the time something we work on right on um alongside with uh you know kind of the support of the parents um that is so important as kids kind of just grow through those teenage years especially as athletes what's maybe one of the things that sticks out to you the most that you see student athletes struggling with the number one issue and this comes from surveying my clients the number yeah. one issue uh is confidence confidence that's the reason why they come is confidence and i think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what confidence is and what yeah. it isn't yeah um, where it comes you know, from I, where it comes from yeah <laughs> uh for sure and so you know that's a big one there's so many people that still believe confidence is a feeling and i think we we say that like i just don't feel confident and i'm like well good because it's not a feeling you know it, <laughs> yeah uh yeah. it's a belief you have and so we you know that's probably a big one obviously anxiety and that's yeah. really shot higher with what's happening around the yeah. world um you know i had yesterday I even had a web session with um a swimmer and she's really struggling with just the lack of uh her human social connection yeah um that's really increasing given you know what's going on uh lack of faith understanding spirituality and its connection yeah, to sure. identity um, a lot of my professional and elite athletes are really struggle with that one. What is yeah. my identity away from being an athlete? Yeah. And so helping them with that and then helping them also develop like a, you know, your side hustle. What are you going to do once this ends? Right. And that being something we, you know, we focus on as well as the actual sports performance stuff. Um, I think probably the other big one that I see is emotional immaturity. Sure. Which I was pretty good at as a teenager. You were. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> to be fair out there. Yeah, that was uh, one that took some time. And uh, well, I think and you can certainly speak to this from your experience, Ben. You know, I think and I and I don't know. I think some of this you were talking about parents earlier. And I think some of this comes from the style of parenting that has happened in recent generations, and, and it could be this crisis really changes that, but we have coddled our kids more than we have equipped them. No doubt. So they don't know how to handle negative emotions when they happen. It's normal to feel anxiety. There's <laughs> yeah. not something wrong with you. You know, you've yeah. got to learn how to manage it 
And instead we're like, oh, something's wrong with you. Let's go to the doctor, yeah. right? Or let's get special treatment at school. Yeah. Instead of really equipping them. Yeah. I, I feel like maybe some of my own experience, some observed in others is it's, you know, instead of giving them the tools, you kind of try to get them off the job site. <laughs> and just like, ah, I'm not a good fit. Not fear, you know, instead of actually giving them tools and teaching them the work that the job site might require. Um, And that I think is a, that we even see that at the professional level where we're no longer developing quarterbacks. We're expecting them to play as soon as they're drafted. Yep. That's been a shift in the last 10 to 15 years. It's like come in and and be the best. Come in and contribute rather than we're going to develop you and maybe a year, maybe two years. And then that, that's n- nah, no longer. The yeah. Aspect. Yeah. And I think people the extrinsic rewards that come with those roles, the mental impact that they have on, on things, which is very different from one year being a college quarterback to, you know, uh, having, you know, these, the rewards are nice. The money's great, but people don't understand sometimes that dynamic that it, it, it plays on how you perform. Yeah. The, for the sure. le- well, I, I think pressure. Have we been taught how to deal with pressure? That's one question I ask every single athlete that comes through my door. Tell me a time other than right now where you really faced a challenge or a struggle and then tell me how you overcame it. Yeah. You'd be stunned at how many I get like, um, uh, <laughs> right. Our kids are not struggling. They, and then when they face something small, they don't even know how to handle that yeah. much less the pressure. Yes. Of being a college athlete and then turning professional Right. Um, and if you've just coasted along with success, 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 um, that does create stress too. There's a lot of people and I experienced this. I had incredible success the first year I competed as a gymnast. And then I'm voted into the hall of fame of my gym. And it's like, I didn't realize at 11 years old, what kind of pressure that put on my psyche to maintain a certain level of success. Yeah. Hall of Fame success. Right. Well, how do you do that? That's usually a reward that you get at the end of your career, not at the beginning of your career. <laughs> yeah. You know? um, so kind of navigating those things and, and, you know, the tools and the anxiety and the confidence that you see, uh, what's maybe one simple exercise or, or thing that you like to teach student athletes to kind of, bring those down a little bit and help them step back into maybe a, a better version of, of who they are? Well, I think one thing you got to get good at is just questioning yourself. Yeah. Um, you may have those automatic thoughts, automatic negative thoughts, um, automatic judgments about yourself or other people. And you got to be like, okay, is that really true? Am I exaggerating? Is that a lie? Um, and you really got to, question it especially if you're feeling kind of the top three negative feelings of anger anxiety or sadness you really got to get good at questioning yourself because you're generating those feelings 
Right. It's not the other person or the circumstances. You're generating those feelings. And so you really got to get good at questioning yourself. And then as you do that, I call it, you got to BS yourself. And the BS stands for but statement. So if you're like, I suck, I can't do anything right. It's like, but. And then you got to speak the truth, right? Yeah. I refuse to give up. I trust my training, you know, or, you know, whatever it is, right? Yeah. So question yourself, use a but statement. It's very effective. Yeah. I like the but statement. Give uh, you got to throw some truth at the lies we tell ourselves, right? Yes. Yeah. So, um, you're obviously a pro at this work with pros at this, but why do you think, uh, and also your experience of coaching other coaches, um, why do so many overlook maybe the, the simple benefits of breathing, visualization, mm -hmm. developing these mental skills? Well, just like you said, so many contrastly easy see the anxiety, they see the, the pressure, they see the social media, but still don't want to look at these things as maybe possible tools. Um, yeah, I think, you know, even though it's gotten better, I think there is still kind of a stigma. Oh, that's kind of that psycho babble, hocus pocus type of stuff. Woo woo. Yeah, the woo woo stuff or whatever the word is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the bottom line is that's just a prideful statement. That's your yeah. pride getting in the way of something that actually is very effective. Um, and that's fine. I, you know, yeah. Again, I think it's getting better in terms of more people embracing that and understanding that. And I think also because, God, this is gonna be maybe a controversial statement, but I think because there have been kind of several generations of mentally soft people sure. that there have coaches are having to look at mental, emotional, spiritual tools to be able to deal with that sure. and to draw out the best out of those athletes that tend to be more mentally soft. Um, again, I don't know. One silver lining from this crisis could be that we are going to get back to some, some tougher, more equipped, you know, people. Yeah. I think the, heard the quote a long time ago, but it's, I can't remember where it came from, but uh, I think it was an old philosopher that said, you know, most of man's problems come from their inability to spend time by themselves. Oh, yeah. And as I even, you know, the things that I've gone through, I'm like, yeah, that was like what I was very uncomfortable to be by myself in my own. I just, you know, I wanted people or just some of these things that I think so much can be learned when you're by yourself. But when you're uncomfortable, um, sometimes you got to be forced well, into it. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. That, And I think that's why a lot of coaches kind of struggle with it, because now I got to come face to face with my own stuff. Right. And, and that's hard. It's not comfortable to look at the stuff you got to change, work on, fix weaknesses. Um, and it takes work, takes self-discipline, and it does take being okay with yourself and looking at that stuff yeah. um, to be able to change it. Yeah. I think so. just like you said before, you got to kind of 
take a look at that stuff to maybe ask the right questions? That's true. And, uh -huh. and I think, you know, I always recommend that people have one or two people in their life that they're willing to go like 100% with. Yeah. But that last 5% that's in your closet, that at least those one or two people know it, can support you, hold you accountable, help you develop that part of your character that needs to change. Yeah. And that's really hard for people to be vulnerable. You know, Brene Brown talks a lot about mm -hmm. vulnerability and her stuff on that's really good. No doubt. Um, so um, kind of vulnerability going back to uh, looking back when you were a, a 16 year old. Um, if you time traveled in the DeLorean, um, ah, your, yes. your, your, your journey, your education, your experiences, uh, what's one simple truth in life you would want to tell 16 year old self to help you navigate the world? Well, I think something I said earlier, actually, that confidence isn't a feeling. Yeah. I think if I had known that at 16, um, my gymnastics career would have looked and ended a lot different. Yeah. I don't know that I would have been so worried about maintaining a certain level of performance success. I would just go out there and do it because it was fun, because I loved it, because I could be with my friends and, you know, just the challenge of just challenging myself and doing hard things. Um, and I guess closely tied to that, Again, we kind of talked about it before, just that my identity is bigger than the roles I have. Yeah. Not that I'm a gymnast or that I'm a female football player or that um, I'm a daughter, a mom, a wife. But, you know, those are roles I have, but it's not who I am. Yeah. I think that's such a, a big one that I know I, I struggled with. I've seen other people uh as well and uh i think great advice for for everyone that might be around that age you mentioned kind of the performance success um taking that that bigger step back like you kind of uh were getting to right there how do you define success um well for me i wrote a personal mission statement in 1997 and i quote it to myself before i let my feet hit the ground every day which is to impact, influence, and change lives. Um, and whoever God puts in front of me. So I walk out of my home every day or even within the walls of my home and that, that's my intent every day. Um, and sometimes it just means smiling at the target checkout lady, you know, I mean, <laughs> or guy or whoever is there, right? And calling them by name. Yeah. You know, rather than it just being this silent transaction where you don't ever make eye contact. But then obviously with my kids, it's, it's very intentional. I got to show up my best with them as well as I do here or with a client or, you know, wherever. So when I get to the end of my day, I do kind of evaluate, did I do that today?